Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today I'm talking with Rick McGuire of the legendary band Pile. So Pile released Green and Gray in 2019 on Exploding and Sound Records, and recently they reissued Demonstration from 2007. Pile is such a great and consistent band. So good. Ah. Well, today on the pod we talked about Kid A by Radiohead. It was very interesting to revisit and gain a new appreciation for the album and band. So, um, you know, this is our 10th episode. It's pretty crazy. Thanks so much for tuning in and just simply giving a shit about this project. It's kept me sane during lockdown and will keep me sane, hopefully, as we head into lockdown part two. Please wear a mask, give people space, and just be good to your fellow man. Do things like follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SpinningOutPod, and rate, review, subscribe, blah blah blah. So with all that said, on to the episode! vegan or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door then you should probably check out nourish nourish offers culturally diverse gluten-free organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering all while enriching their community employees and our planet if you're in charlotte north carolina you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com if you're in the new york area check out nourishdelivered.nyc nourish yourself you deserve it All right, so Rick, just to start with, um, actually, I think I need to start with an apology. Um, so when we played with you last year, I think I broke your bass cabinet, or at least we thought in the moment that I did. So starting this episode off with an apology <laughs> to you. Uh, that is quite all right. I don't think it was, uh, I mean, if it, if it were your mistake, uh, I, I don't, there was no blame placed on you. I don't know if you remember who was uh, this, the house sound person that night. Do, do you remember that person? Um, there was, I guess, I don't know if you mean, I guess you're meaning the venues sound yes. person versus you, you all, I believe, had like a touring sound person. We did, we did, yeah. And uh, But do you remember the house sound person? Yes, but I also... I mean, I say this as someone who's also a sound person. Um, a lot of times sound dudes run yes. together in my mind, especially when they're of a certain type. Yes. Um, and so that type is kind of what I remember. Okay. Yeah. So he ended up being, uh, I think I would be able to, Everyone in the band remembers that sound person because of how uh, their general attitude. So any sort of <laughs> uh, any sort of like thing that went wrong that night, I think we were very happy to pin on on him. So uh, 
No apology necessary. I just assumed it was that guy's fault. <laughs> Good. We'll go off of that. Um, I think it ended up not being anything. And so it was like almost like embarrassing in the moment. Like, you know, as someone that's a big fan of your band, um, it was like really cool to like play that show with y'all. So then like a little bit over halfway through the set, like to have to like switch my bass stuff to um, like through the house, like DI through the house mm. was not fun. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but it's also like, you know, I feel like it's like, it's like I had already, I had already like created, uh, I had already done like a cardinal sin of like borrowing from the touring band. So it felt <laughs> like my, you know, it was my cross to bear with, uh, with being DI through the, you know, so it was like, you've done this <laughs> to yourself, you know, so, because it was the reason that I even asked and I was like, oh, I know this is like such a faux pas, but we were in between tours and um and i probably like explained in the emails at the time but like we were in between tours and we needed a repair on the van and relatively we got offered that show pretty quick uh and so it was like repairs aren't going to be done on the van but would prefer to like take one vehicle um you know and so it was like base cab you know would would have solved everything for that but, sure. Yeah. And I, I feel like uh base cab in general is, is the, that's the least um, just like taxing thing to, to borrow. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I think that across the board, we've all just been like, yeah, base cabs, it's kind of, it's kind of a pain to lug around. So if we could all just use the one that, that sounds good. So no, we're, we're all of the understanding that that's like, that's, that's the thing to borrow for sure. So, yeah, that's also what I kind of figure. That's how I always feel like if someone wants to borrow my base cab, you know, I'm just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, I've dropped my base cab down, uh, like stairs before, not on purpose, but right. you know, I survived. <laughs> um, you know, I've replaced speakers, but I've had that same, my same 215 for like, years so uh mm. people love base cab chats on uh <laughs> you know podcasts but uh we are not talking bass today uh we are talking about the radiohead album kid a from the year 2000 yes and so um i think actually when i think about listening to radiohead there's really like two records that come to mind for me and it's okay computer and kid a mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine just, I think at a point many years ago, I was like, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I've heard like stuff, you know, in whatever, but he was like, you should listen to like these two records. And he let me borrow the CDs and I listened to them a bunch. But for whatever reason, like, I feel like I don't like go back to Radiohead. And I feel like sometimes I have like a, like a negative connotation of them, but not mm. in the same sense. Like, this is sometimes how I think about it. Like there's almost like three bands that come to mind. It's like Radiohead, Tool, and like ISIS. Um, but I don't, I don't think people really talk about ISIS in the same way, but, um, and I, I mean, you know, who ISIS, the post-rock band ISIS. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I felt like at the time when everyone was super into like post-rock, it always felt like that was really all people were referencing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, 
oh, I'm starting a post-rock band. And like, are you starting a neurosis post-rock band or are you starting an ISIS? And it was always ISIS. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of like the tool of like post-rock bands to me. Sure. And then like tool is just tool. Um, mm-hmm. And then Radiohead always felt like it was like tool for stockbrokers. You know? <laughs> but it's also like, but I'm kind of like thinking about like how I used to think about it. Like a lot of the exercise of even doing this podcast or like thinking about music at my age, it's like, I'm just like, oh, I was kind of wrong. <laughs> There's a lot of instances where I was like, I was kind of a jerk about that, you know? Uh, so while I say all that, like, what was your uh, introduction to this album or your feelings of the band overall? Um, well, I think it was shortly after Amnesiac came out, which is the record after Kid A. And I just remember hearing, you know, I was, I was uh, 16 and I remember getting just, I don't know, just hearing about that record and was like, oh, it's really strange. And they're like a rock band and blah, blah, blah. And at that point I was more into like either punk adjacent kind of things or punk stuff or, or like the Beatles. And like, that was sort of the, of like the zone that I was in. And, uh, and so I just like bought the CD at like, uh, you know, wherever. And uh, I listened to Amnesiac and I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty strange, but it's still digestible. And uh, that I then went, you know, then I sort of got the whole story as far as like, well, this record uh, earlier this year, this other record was released by the same band and, and I ended up getting that. And then sort of from there went and back down there catalog with okay computer and and the bends and all that i never i've never listened to pablo honey but from what i understand it's it's not really worth getting into but um but i could be totally wrong about that yeah that's funny you mentioned that because i think even recently when i was like telling a friend that i was talking about this record um and i guess they were knowing like kind of like the bulk of music i tend to go to they were like, you should check out Pablo Honey. I think you would like it, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's probably because the record is, I, th- I think from the little bit I've listened to and also their earlier stuff, it tends to be more like guitar centric. Mm. Um, but honestly, even though I feel like I set it up with bashing Radiohead at the beginning, but you know, it was, it's really like, I would rather them sound this way. Like, it's yeah. like, we don't necessarily, I mean, whatever, be a guitar band. Like, I'm in a guitar band. We're all, a, mm. art's great. But it's like, you know, I I think that they made the better decision going this way. You know, like, it's more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I, I mean, it's like, I guess if, if you're really into Radiohead, I think it always is fun kind of like seeing where a band started and, and from like listening to like the bins, like, you know, I, I like it, but I like OK Computer and especially this, like even more. Yeah. And I mean, I get the um, the sort of like distaste for for that band and bands like Tool. Um, Tool, it's a little easier to dislike. Granted, I had my, my time where I was like, this is interesting when I was like a teenager. 
but the fans really do play a large role in like a, especially with just those bigger like arena bands that mm-hmm. they just, they kind of, the fans can be a reflection of, or just like have a big impression on how you see an act. So if you see like a bunch of, you know, Radiohead fans being like really pretentious or like uh, uh, sort of, I don't know, condescending or just like, this is like high art music, then it's going to like leave a bad taste in your mouth. The same yeah, way. I feel like tool. there's always kind of, not generationally, but almost like a series of a band you can point to that's almost like that band for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like Muse would be another band that I feel like people are that way too, or like even like Mastodon sometimes like fans can be that way or like Coheed and Cambria, you know? Yeah. But what we're talking about like really like bands that sort of are like long running and have like an immersive way, like Nine Inch Nails, I think is like another one where it's almost like there's a lot to dig into. I think sometimes on purpose and sometimes on like, like, but I think that's what they want sometimes. I think Radiohead and even Nine Inch Nails like almost want a thing where it's like you you kind of listen to it and you kind of ask questions, you know. And yeah. um, it's kind of funny because actually they said, um, like Johnny Greenwood was like, what we're doing isn't that radical. Like He just was like, because people were like, how do you come up with it? Or like, mm. you know, but I think like an interesting thing is I feel like when I'm listening to this record specifically I still can kind of pinpoint like what like a just like an intro verse chorus like kind of thing is like it's there's still like essential song structures but they may not always hit it in the way that you would expect a band that's as popular as them to do which right. kind of surprised me on re-listening to it it's it uh it appears really unfamiliar but there's a lot of it that feels familiar and there's like uh i don't know that was sort of what so i i recently kind of got back into that record just because i don't know i just was interested in in some of the stuff on it i've been i, I don't know as far as after like last year doing a bunch of touring i was like i kind of haven't played guitar as much and uh just doing keys and stuff like that and so i don't know i gave it another listen and there's just something to it especially to go from okay computer where they are like a very just sort of straight ahead not straight ahead but they're a rock band they're like a rock band that has like some you know there's other instruments on it and stuff in terms of like piano, there's, there's organ, there's strings, there's, you know, weird guitar effects and stuff like that. But it's very much in the, like, it makes sense that it's in the mid nineties. It sounds like that. And, uh, and then or late nineties, I guess. And then to make such a jump to this, to kid a, where it's just like, I feel like the song structure, it was just like very deconstructive in how they went about things. And it was just, there were, there were guitars on there, but there were also these, like the first song doesn't have any drums. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it took me until like really listening to what was going on in the song to even acknowledge that. And there's a lot of it that's just like, it feels very 
you could just kind of tune out to what's happening and it just like let like i don't know can listen to it in a different way than i feel like i can in other like rock like rock records yeah i think there's it's well now in like 2020 it, it makes sense but um like it really is like soundtrack music like mm-hmm. it, uh um especially like when that first song hits it's kind of like i think about it like i mean any of the like soundtracks i have like even listening to like tangerine dream you know or uh but you know tom york like does that stuff now you know mm-hmm. with the suspiria soundtrack like it's it i mean johnny greenwood too he's all yeah. over a bunch of stuff yeah um yeah i mean so it's like now kind of in hindsight but and i think about it like in terms of like the year 2000 and the jump like you were saying from okay computer to kid a like you know there are hints of it but that is a pretty big jump and a bold jump for like a band that you would expect you know you should not really have songs more than like four minutes and there should be like a hook that people can you know sing like a foo fighter song or something you know yeah yeah. Um, which is fine but it's like none of this album really like has that so i'm super surprised that it's like as revered as it is and that's almost like a little bit it almost like gives you a little faith in humanity and that's probably like giving it a little too much credit but yeah no i mean it's especially for uh, a group that at the time i mean that Okay, Computer was like, you know, everyone was saying, what a great record. And, you know, they were probably, I mean, I would imagine at the time, like one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And so the amount of pressure that's on you to be like, all right, let's put out another record. Like you could just as easily, honestly, put out something that's some sort of like half-baked imitation of the last thing you did and get away with it. It happens all the time. But, um, but to then instead just like uh, creatively go like dig deeper and go to a different place is and to and I think also what is important to me about that record is that it because I was so used to guitar music and that sort of thing it made all of these other sounds it kind of changed my brain in terms of what was okay to have in certain kinds of music it's like I would hear synthesizers and like synth pop music and i would associate that sound with that kind of song or that kind of music or that genre and you know you hear a distorted guitar and you associate that with rock music and that sort of thing and then you know in the last song in the record there's like a harp and there's like a reed organ and there's or not the last song that motion picture soundtrack and there's just like the, the way that the instruments are used are sort of Uh, and, you know, actually that song in particular, I was curious about it. I was like, I want to hear earlier versions of this song. And I looked it up on YouTube and it's just Tom York playing acoustic guitar and singing it. And that's like, that's my favorite song on that record. I, I uh, Maybe. Which song are you referring to? It's the one that has like, uh, it's, I think it's like the ninth song or, or something. It's, um, and it's like a really sad and pretty song. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that might be actually the ninth track. Um, yeah, I forgot I was listening to it like last night. 
Um, but yeah, that does that is one of the songs on it where it's like it's it's like it gave you something that's closer to like a traditional kind of song, but still in you know a different way. But that's interesting that you said. I could see that. I mean, I could almost see that you could do almost like rock band interpretations of a lot of these songs you know in some way they would be different but it's like you know there there is like things you can pull from especially like that song it does feel like you know more rock centric than some of the record Mm, yeah i don't know i i i heard a acoustic guitar version of it and it was like pretty it was pretty lame and uh it's just so interesting how it being colored by using a reed organ and a harp and like uh, uh, a choir and subtracting the acoustic guitar and you have like a totally different song that has this very different feel and um, yeah, I don't know. So I think it just like the, the part of the experimentation and I, I, I ended up like researching the record too because I was just by going back and listening to it, it, it is just, you know, it's gotten me into a bunch of different kinds of music too. Like, uh, I don't know if I would have had the same kind of context to get into uh, like Aphex Twin, which they obviously took like a bunch of stuff from on, or just like they were listening to a lot of that kind of music when they were working on that record. Um, and just like Can and uh, yeah, I don't know. yeah i mean i yeah i think like i don't know if it has to do something about like i guess i don't really speak to me personally it's like as i get older i feel like there's less like lines of what things are where they need to be filed Hmm. um you know i've always had this like thought that even like my idea of like listening to punk it's like when i was like a kid it's like, you know, my brother was like, no effects is punk or like the exploited is punk. And then he would be like, spaz is punk and hot water music. And so it's just like, you know, whatever it ended up being, like it was like so many different things, you know, were um, that it's like, I always had kind of like blurry definitions, even with that. And mm. I feel like things now are a little bit more, you know, like codified like mm. I, I feel like you know it's like even like the thought of like just something being squarely emo is still kind of weird to me mm. um so it's i feel like it's kind of aided me as i get older but i think it's like a similar journey that people have as they experience music as they get older is like it doesn't matter if it's not like punk or it doesn't matter if it's not like squarely electronic you know like to kind of like put yourself in like categories and like try and stay there is weird when you go, mm. you know? And so like, like it's allowed me more to just be open even, you know, like I've tried to get like friends to make me like techno playlists and stuff. And like, you know, and like, I'm interested in listening to like FX twin more like, but I wasn't that way when I was younger. I mean, I guess this is growing up but you know it's like mm-hmm. but like i you know i i trying to get back around to what we were mentioning like i but i think that they had that approach with like their music that it wasn't like you have to do it a certain way and even like if you i 
I think sometimes too, when I was, I was thinking back to what you were saying about like, you know, synths being in like certain elements, I feel like sometimes when rock bands add synth, it's like they just make it really big into it. You know, it's mm. almost just like, hey, we like synth too. But sometimes I feel like it's like, why can't you kind of have it organically within the song like you would anything else to let it be a representation of the song itself and not like some glaring thing, you know, in it. And I feel like there's a lot of like different instrumentation on this Radiohead record where it's like really organically done. Mm. You know, that's like the main point I was, you know, tangentially trying to get to is mm. that everything's really organic. Like even on like national anthem where it starts going into you know, like the kind of sax kind of thing at the end, um, you know, it's like a, you know, for lack of a better way to explain it, it's almost like becomes like a free jazz kind of sax solo thing. Um, I don't know if earlier Radiohead would have done that. No. And I mean, it's, it's, it's one note of just different octaves that that sax is doing too, you know, or for a lot of it anyways, until it freaks out at the end. But yeah, it's just stuff like that where it's, it happens and it doesn't, it's like a cool idea and it doesn't necessarily stick out. And yeah. I, th- I think that there's a lot of that on the, on that record where it's, they take these strange risks that as a listener, it's just, it's easy to accept them. And uh, that's like a, that's a, that's not an easy thing to pull off, you know, to, to just like, well, we're going to try this weird thing. I mean, it's also proof by that, like, I guess when they went in to record that record, they had somewhere between, like, there was, like, 60 and 80 songs. So that's why they had the two records. It's because these are, like, the 20 that they that they settled on. Um, and that's why there's also so many B-sides from that, that era, because they were just in the studio, and it was just, like, anything that they were sort of um, kind of pursuing. And like uh, what I hear in a lot of the songs, like something like Paranoid Android from OK Computer. It's like, all right, we're going to write this long, epic song. It's like, it's, you know, there's a bunch of peaks and valleys and all this sort of stuff. Whereas on Kid A and Amnesiac, it seems like, like, all right, we have this one idea and let's try to see it through to it being a complete song. Like there's... um song Idiotech on uh, on Kid A that is it's four notes it's and like it, there's these like really rich chords and they're just basically and I don't mean like four chords they're just uh, each chord is an inversion of those four notes and they're just at different places some of them are really on top of each other some of them are really spread out and it seems like one of those things where it's like all right we have this one idea let's just see it through to like, we're only going to use these four notes and make it a whole song. And there's really no, there's like a chorus by like, you know, pop standards of like, there's like this vocal line that happens, but there's nothing else that happens. It's this one chord progression, there's drums and there are like electronic drums and these other noises and bleeps and bloops that like show up here and there. So I feel like, and that's that's a thing that kind of fascinates me about the record. I think also because of, in my own songwriting, it's like I'll often just take like I I'll try to 
break habits, whether it's like song structure or, and, and there's something about it that seems so weirdly askew from ordinary songwriting, but still sound, they still sound like songs. And that's, uh, I don't know. That's that, I think that's why I sort of like listening to the record again. It's like as a kid, I had listened to it and be like, oh, I can accept this. There's like certain melodies and that sort of stuff. And it was easy, but then listening to it again and really being like, how did they, how did they make this thing? Like how is each, each song has such a strong identity. And it's like, there's, it's not like, uh, you know, when you go into record a rock record and it's like, all right, we're going to record the basics first. We'll do the drums and bass and, uh, and then we'll do guitars and, you know, blah, 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 then vocals and then add anything else. Nothing on this record sounds like that was how it was approached. And that, that part of it is, is interesting to me and how it still can be kind of cohesive as a record. Like there's a song tree fingers on that record, which is just, it's, it's an ambient track. There's just like, it's just these synths that fade in and it's four minutes long. Yeah. And the, how that doesn't feel out of place is crazy to me, you know? It's like similar. I was just listening to the White Album for the first time in a long time uh, this past weekend, and Revolution Number no. Nine, which is just like a weird tape edit song. The fact that that like kind of can sit amongst all of these other like, you know, at this point they're old enough. I feel like to be called conventional pop songs, and that it still like fits in a weird way. It's like how how does that happen? either there's something that they're doing that's like pretty special or that they're tuned to, or I don't give as much credit to just like the listening ear to be able to just like take in whatever and be like, all right, yeah, this is totally congruent with everything else that's happening. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's funny though, is I almost like think about it when thinking about like your music, like I don't, like sometimes I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you got to a certain place with your songwriting. I mean, I think you kind of answered it in a way. Um, but for instance, like when I bring a song to any of my bands, um, I feel like it's like my main approach has always been that I almost like want to bring a song that's like what a baby would write, like just like a nursery rhyme. I mean, that's, been done a bunch but I feel like it's like if it's a basic skeleton of itself then sort of like what my bandmates will be able to do with it will be like richer mm. um, and it just gives them more room instead of just being like I envision the drums to be this way or tell the guitarist what to play or whatnot mm-hmm. um, so there's flexibility so even like if it's like if the drummer wants to play something halftime and I basically brought something to him that should be faster then I try not to like have as much expectations, but that's still like essentially like, it's like I bring a song in with the intention to like get out of the way in a, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, but being that I would imagine like, from, well, from the history of like pile itself, uh, it's been very much your project in a, you know, a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so I don't think that, I would assume that you would bring songs to the band unit in the same way. I mean, your songwriting is probably a lot different than like mine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, 
I think sometimes uh, I'll have a very concrete, fully formed idea of what I'd like a song to be. And, uh, you know, sort of like, all right, yeah, the here, it's very important that this happens here. It's, you know, that this happens here, et cetera. But um, sometimes it's not that, that solid. And I'll just have like kind of a half idea. Because, you know, sometimes too, if you just get to a certain place in practice, it's like, all right, well, we've worked on everything that we were, we were going to work on. Like, what now? Like, well, I have this. And so we could maybe sort of just like then work through that, see which way things go. And what usually happens there is that we'll work on something, see where it goes. I'll then take it back and be like, okay, well, what about this, this, and this? And then I'll come back and be like, well, I, I've got some ideas for what we worked on. And then that sort of kind of con continues. Um, it's obviously different now. I mean, there's just, I haven't been able to play with the band and you know, almost a year and yeah, so it's, it is different, but anyways, yeah. It, sometimes it's nice to leave that room to just be like, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I really like getting into the weeds on it and being like, well, what I, I want to like really be very deliberate about everything in this song. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's, there's room there's room for either. And maybe there's like a richness to that where it's just like, okay, some of it feels much more like, like a one person did this. And some of it feels like this is really a collective thing. And so it just kind of, I think it, I just like sort of bouncing that back and forth. Yeah. I think about it in terms of like kid a, um, I, I also try and think about it, like how the band might've written music around that time. Like, mm. And I was even like looking back to like, just like how long they were a band before that point. Um, and I'm not sure, like, I didn't do like crazy research on it, but you know, it was like, from what it shows, they've been a band since 1985. Like, I don't know what that means. Like Radiohead was, or if they were just basically a different band or same different name with the same people, you know? So now mm -hmm. history says that that was Radiohead. You know, I don't, you know, but like, but still just like the thought that like, I would say like Creep came out, I think like 92, 93. So you're even looking at a band that had been around for like seven years at that point. Yeah. Um, and so if you look at like the success of even like, well, those, but if you, it, let's say like, okay, computer, like I'd say that record probably set them up to be like almost the radio head that we know now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, what in, like, Tom York or Johnny Greenwood's life was different in the way that they were writing? So, because I, I feel like when bands get to a certain point, um, you know, even with, like, Pyle, um, like, for instance, like, I don't, it doesn't seem like you really live where the rest of your band does. Mm. And I would, I would inversely wonder if, like, because of, there's, I know it's probably a different reason because of maybe the money that they made off of OK Computer where they were at in their life, like maybe they weren't in the same area. Mm -hmm. Because like, uh, it almost feels like it's like somebody could have brought like ideas, like from the stuff I was researching about like National Anthem, it's like Tom York had played around with that, that baseline for like years. Mm. And so it's almost like, 
if you're not in the same place, um, and I'm saying this too on this very long tangent that I feel like because I couldn't play with my bandmates for a few months, uh, and we, we didn't practice or anything, we were just going through old voice notes and we were looking through old demos. Like we almost like write a whole song, put it in like a file, put it on like a private SoundCloud and just kind of, we'll get back to it eventually. And so during that time frame, I was taking those skeletons and me and the guitarist would just try and add stuff to like those recordings. And so technology is different now, but I wonder if they had some sort of aspect of that, like in between tours where it was almost like solo writing that kind of changed the way that they approached how they would write going forward. Yeah. I mean, it seems like from what I've, noticed of the band that they just they've had they do keep a lot of ideas lying around and um because there was one that came there was like a live record that they put out around the time of uh, amnesiac and it has this song called true love waits and it's just like acoustic guitar and tom york singing and that song ended up coming out on their most recent full length it's just like mm-hmm. 17 years later so um yeah i guess i would imagine that there's like a bunch of different versions and you know they have the resources to be like all right well let's record like five versions of this song and see which one sounds the best we can try a bunch of different things which not i understand you know not a lot of bands have that opportunity to just like oh yeah we'll try try everything try anything we want um but given that that there are people that have that opportunity to try anything they want and they don't put out things that are like interesting or challenging yeah Um, not at all you know and that's that's i feel like the part of it that uh i it's like drew me back in is that it's challenging it's still like you can let it just you could listen to it and it's it's easy to in a lot of ways but it also does challenge a lot of things yeah, just I was like, thinking about it like um, my friend Justin is he, a producer. He produced like our last record uh, and he's been he had been sending me some like Bob Dylan live stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was listening to some of that, like he even pointed out a part where it's like it, it sounds like the band didn't really know. Well, it was the band at the time backing him didn't really know the song but they just kind of went into it but it's still like while they did a really cool uh, you know rendition of a song mm-hmm. you can tell they didn't know the song yeah you know? and so but to your point about this is like it doesn't sound that way i mean there's there's straight up albums where i feel like it's like you get the backstory of like someone kind of like figuring it out in the studio and mm-hmm. it's like i can tell <laughs> it's like yeah. And that, that could be cool, and I do like that, but it's like, it doesn't really, it always feels like it's going to a place, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I can imagine that maybe, like, I don't know, other, you know, it's like I want to mention other people than, than Tom or Johnny, but it's like, maybe Colin or Ed or Philip, you know, had an idea, and they kind of just went with it. But it doesn't, it doesn't make me think of things like Frank Zappa, you know, like, Sometimes yeah. with like Frank Zappa, it's like, yeah, yo, I can tell that, you know, y'all just made it up in the, in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it almost like it makes me think of some jazz records um because it always feels like it's like it may be going to a place but everyone knows kind of where it's going right you know and uh that's like a different thing with this record that's like it's big credit to mm-hmm. it is i mean i mainly i'm agreeing with you in that it it doesn't feel like long strings of just like stream of consciousness or something no this the songs feel like they're like they the the structure of this the songs are like that that's solid like we know where that's gonna go with like a couple exceptions you know like there's parts that we can extend here and there but like they have a, a good idea of what those ideas are going to be but there are i think things in between them being a song and between what ends up coming out of your speakers that they like they they explore that space a lot um because yeah like the the title track is uh the vocals on it uh is actually that's not the vocal melody that was like written for the song it was uh tom york was singing through some it's like some sort of kind of vocoder thing but not a vocal i think it's called like an ondis martinot and i could be totally pronouncing that wrong um but johnny greenwood is playing it and he's improvising what the melody is. So you hear this like vocoder thing of like a vocal line and like the song structure exists. But, um, but yeah, it's just like things like that where it's like, well, let's just try this and you might come up. And I, I don't know, I, those kinds of things are exciting to me creatively where it's like, let's just, this thing that you've been working on really hard that you're like putting so much of your energy into, let's, uh, let's just fuck with it. Let's just like kind of take it apart and see what it's worth. Yeah. And, and like that, that part of it is kind of inspiring to see. And I, maybe I'm, I'm putting too much stock into it. Maybe I'm just projecting, but like, I think the idea of taking something that you get so sort of like ultra focused on and then taking that and, and kind of destroying it in a way, or like being willing to destroy it in order to find something better uh is exciting yeah i yeah i have a like few points off of that like um one thing i was thinking is like this could have been because i assume they probably had a lot of time in the studio i you know it seems that way this at this point of what this record was like it was almost like a blank check from the record label Mm -hmm. um you know to do this and they gave a good representation of it, but this could have been St. Anger. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, because some of the things that I assume that they did uh, while they weren't as tied down to like the rock band format, there probably was a lot of like the er- well, early at the point, but you know, like kind of digital manipulation and kind of moving things around to kind of build the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume, and also the type of music it is, it lends itself better to that than even like Metallica probably would have. But like, you know, Metallica was like, move this here. Or like, you know, it would be like Lars relining stuff, you know, so this could yeah, have been, yeah. you know, that thing, um, you know, because they were already at, well, at this point now in 2020, it's like, they've been a band for like 34 years. Yeah. So this was still like, like 15 years into being a band. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they could have just 
Yeah, it's true. That's interesting. The, the comparison to Metallica, because yeah, there was there was. Have you have you seen some kind of monster? Yes, I need to watch it again. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it's, I think I've seen it at this point like three times. It's uh, it really is something else. I feel like I didn't watch it for a long time because I also I feel like I have this vision in my head of what Metallica is to me because of like what it was to me growing up. Mm. And like, I almost just like try and act like they are. I used to just always kind of act like they almost like died after Black Album. You know? <laughs> and just like people were like, you got to watch some kind of monster. And it was like almost would like take it personal. It's like, I know it's like kind of like, I don't want to see one of my favorite bands at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, so, but then it was amazing. You know, it's it's like a what not to do, but also like, honestly, probably like saved their career in like a weird way. It's know? so strange that they that they were the ones that put it out too. It's like they they had they definitely had final say in whether or not that came out, and some of the stuff that they just chose to include is like, wow, you like you don't. Like nobody comes off looking good, no. you know. Uh, maybe. maybe that was the thing, though. Like, as, as I feel like if if you're watching it and you're like, if Lars came off as the only shitty person, then it probably the documentary wouldn't have come out. But maybe even Lars's ego, or they probably all have pretty big egos. I mean, why wouldn't you if you were in Metallica? But you mm. know, it's sort of like, man, we all look bad. All right, well, release it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's like everyone does look shitty in it, so it's yeah. Like, all right, well, you look shitty too, so, yeah. Jason Newstead, he might be the only one that, like, doesn't look like a total asshole. Yeah, it's it's also, it's like, there's, like, a little piece in there from, like, where Dave Mustaine's in there. Yes, And I'm like, how does he not look like the worst in this, you know? I know, I know, and he still does look pretty bad. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I think I, I watched it for the first time a couple of years ago. And I mean, it was I, probably just easier for me, one, because I don't have the same association with Metallica. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to them. Uh, and two, because I was on tour and the people I was on tour with were like, you have to, you have to watch this movie. So it was also like the setup for like, we're in it, we're on tour, we're hanging out, we're doing the band thing. And uh to watch it in that setting and be like, wow, this is such a, I can't believe that we technically are in the same line of work. Um, Cause their reality is, as they just, the reality is just not the same. Yeah. The, there was many, many other people. Jason Newstead was uh, playing a show. Um, I think. Echo was, Brain. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, Lars is there and he's so bummed out. Yeah. He's like, I wish I, it was kind of like, I wish I was playing this or something. Or he was, no, he was bummed because people were there. He didn't oh, want yeah. people to see his other band, uh, to see Jason's other band, which is just like, you, what a, what a small person you are. <laughs> relatively to like, I mean, any of us would have been really stoked to play that venue that they were playing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Have y'all played that venue? uh i don't oh what uh, i don't think so no it was like what in was san it? francisco i think Mm-mm. i was in la 
Oh yeah, no, no, I, I just don't know which oh, venue. But I don't know. I don't remember that much about it. But like, it wasn't a small venue. But mm. like in, but it wasn't like to Metallica. That was like the smallest venue. Mm-hmm. So for him to be jealous of any sort. Because honestly, when in that scene, he could have almost, I would have imagined that if I was a jerk like him, I'd be like, look how small this place is, you know, like relatively to like what Metallica plays. And then he could have mm-hmm. gotten the same high off of it. But even sure. if he that further and was like, people are here and he's bummed right. about it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, that's like next level jerk, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. But God love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up my chances of ever uh, going on tour of Metallica. Fair enough. Yeah, we can. We could Got to cover my tracks. Sure. Uh, but I don't imagine that even a Radiohead documentary like this could exist. And I could be completely wrong, but I don't get this vibe of them really wanting to put themselves out that much publicly. No, which is also something that I as a reason that I kind of appreciate them as a as a gigantic band. It's like they just don't, I guess, I don't know, thinking about bands that have been huge over the past, however many, or I guess just through growing up, they seem to have like conducted themselves pretty well. (laughs) Like, you know, Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that they, actually, I think they did put out a documentary during OK Computer and it's mostly just like them being miserable. Uh, Just like getting tons of success and not, and 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 not being too crazy about it but or like just exhausted from being on the road all the time it seems like what it is um but yeah i did write down like one it was like basically right when i was just kind of finishing up like my notes for the episode it was like a pop-up thing or just like on twitter and it was like tom york got married in sicily to like an actress and mm-hmm. i was like i guess i'll write that down but i don't know where it's relevant to anything in the conversation <laughs> but i was like that's like the most public thing i've seen like at this point it's like i feel like if i were a writer having to write about radiohead it's like what am i gonna write about like it's like there's no like gossip really you know married in sicily is just like a normal milestone. <laughs> it's like okay congrats yeah. So yes, congratulations, Tom York. If you're, <laughs> I hope you have a happy marriage. Like outside of that, but but you know, even to the thing of like just kind of thinking that they're kind of seem level-headed dudes. Like for being a band for like 34 years, they have the same lineup. Yeah. <laughs> like it's two brothers. You know, the two Greenwood brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ed O'Brien, Philip. Uh, Galway if I wrote it down I can read my you know and Tom York you know so it's like same five people yeah have dealt with crazy each other for 34 years yeah do you know uh yeah that's it is it is pretty pretty impressive I mean I wonder how at that level too like if you're if you don't really want to deal with yeah you know, I, I guess what I'm how much insulation do you have from dealing with your bandmates? You know, because I mean, ideally, you could enjoy continue writing with them and 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 like hanging out and performing with them and all that. But it's not the same as like being in a van no. and just being like sort of all up in each other's lives for months at a time. 
you know, that's a very different thing. And let alone all the coordinating of just like, how are we going to sort of schedule things to, to write and to go on tour and all this sort of stuff. I just wonder what, how different it is for I would, bands like that. Yeah. I would imagine you almost don't have to deal with people at all if you don't want to, and you can still get the same level of work done. Um, because from the touring that it seems like they do also like when a band gets to the size, I feel like the touring is, the touring is obviously different than anything we experience. Like I still feel like it hits like big markets and it's not like they're grinding in the same way that any of us have to. And so I wouldn't be surprised if essentially like if they have a show in Boston, then most of the band if they're not getting on a bus could essentially fly to the next city. Right. And so like, if you're doing that, you're even spending less time. So the only time you have on together could predominantly be like on stage together and with how big these stages are, how (laughs) you're not, you know, you're, you're really are just like going to work and like, it's almost like cubicle stuff, you know? I wonder, I wonder, cause it's also, if you want it to be that way. Right, right. I'd imagine, you know, you get your own hotel room and just maybe a, a mode of transportation and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would imagine it being pretty nice to hang out with your lifelong friends in that context. You know? Yeah, well, I, I think that what Colin does is when they show up at a show or when they show up to get a hotel room, he goes in first and gets the hotel under his name. Yeah, right. And then everyone else piles in, and then they kind of figure out, like, well, you drove, so you definitely get the bed. And, you know, Ed, you can get the shower first because you drove most of the day. Right. And then, you know, Tom goes to get them snacks at, like, whatever the, you know, Bucky's or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, they kind of just, you know, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah but yeah i mean it's like i they're even past the point of like almost like a one hotel room a piece kind of thing it's like there might be multiples for like family members you know that kind of level of success that's true um, yeah but i even think about like i had a like an older band i was i used to be in like an alt country band before my current bands and one of the bands that we played with a couple times, they weren't like they're bigger now, but they weren't like that big. But the drummer was kind of telling me about like how much they would spend getting separate hotel rooms. Mm. And they were still playing like, I don't know, any of the places we play. Yeah. And I was like, y'all are wasting a lot of money. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and it was just like, they would, they were like a five piece band and they had five hotel rooms and you kind of talk about like not, bringing as much money home and i was like hey, i think i found the line item like <laughs> yeah. you know it's like you know but they would kind of like if they were near a city where like their girlfriends or wives lived and you know but it's like they did like that like all the time and they weren't even at that level of, of success so you know it's like i guess it doesn't take much to get there but, or to want it anyways yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like even if it was there i'd be like um I feel like I would be like, if I were just getting my own hotel room every night, it's sort of like, I'm just taking money off my own plate when, but that's also coming from a place where there's not money. There's no money in what I'm doing. So right. I, I mean, like I guess I want to squirrel it away. 
<laughs> I think if I were playing in front of tens of thousands of people each night, I'd be like, yeah, I'm getting a hotel room because well, I got to, yeah, you know, I got to like, got to be sharp. Like I need to sleep in a bed if I'm going to do that again tomorrow. Uh, but again, it's all speculation. I have no idea what it's like. It's interesting because I also, you know, I was talking with someone who, and it's not like I have necessarily an interest in, in going to those places of being like, ah, oh, man, I wish I could play to tens of thousands of people. I don't know what that's like. And it's like, I'm totally content to play to however many people as are willing to show up. But, uh, you know, it's the, that part of the industry that's like, well, how does this actually work? Cause I feel like there has been a part of me that's been like, nah, I'm doing this the way that I feel comfortable doing it. And I don't want to be involved with this, this or this. So I've, I've in some ways kind of like shut myself off to certain ways of doing business. Um, but at the same time, even though like I may sort of initially reject those things, I'm very curious as to how they work, you know, yeah. um, there's like a bunch of steps in between like where I am and those things. And usually those steps are just, I'm sort of like wary of, so it's, I don't end up getting there, but, or I'm not like willing to go there. But like, I talked to a friend of mine who is a producer and he's worked with this band. Who's like a bigger band. They're on a uh, bigger indie label. Um, but let, let's say that it's uh, like Matador or something like that. It's not yeah. Matador, but it's like of that size. Um, or like, I guess Sub Pop, I guess Matador, Sub Pop, and then this other one are probably in the same same zone. But um, And just the band has, uh, they have a manager, they have an A&R person, and then they're like person at the label that handles the money. And just talking with my friend who produces records, just like the relationship between all of this stuff, it's just so wild to me. And uh, yeah, there's just like a lot to the industry where I'm like, wow. I understand why a lot of the yeah. time. Like I, I get it. Um, Cause it's just like, yeah, you know what? I only want to focus on writing music. And I'm like, if you could take care of the rest and I still get paid, sure who cares why not um that makes sense to me um all of it makes sense once i hear it it's just the the methods are insane like the idea that an a r person can come in to the studio and like hear a song and like this is a rough mix of what we've been working on this is a song we've written and the a r person could be like you know this doesn't fit for like radio format or like what we're going to do so we need to change this it's just like, okay, we had already done all this work to like get this song to where it needs to be. Either we need to figure out how to edit this or manipulate this or put something in or just re-record all of this. Uh, that that exists. It's just nuts. It's yeah. like that they could come in halfway, like the song is done. It's, it's pretty much done being recorded uh, and be like, we need to change it for for this reason over here it'll make you a lot of money if you do this i'm pretty sure um and yeah i don't know that world is like so fascinating i wonder what else yeah what other i mean i think are. it probably happens with bands even 
like small we'll say just using pile as like the metric like i i mean i'm saying it you know so it's like i feel like there are bands that their labels probably do tell them that you know even on like smaller indie labels like Mm -hmm. you know i think it's you wouldn't be like exploding in sound you know Mm -hmm. but um you know but i could i could see i could potentially see matador telling someone you know what they can or can't do and um you know and i think they're probably depending on like who the band is there could be reasons why they might be right you know uh depending mm-hmm. like if they kind of know like what the band wants to accomplish and then, right you know it's a different thing than radio had um but but even the reason why i bring it up is like it's it's funny i think sometimes when i see bands that have like managers and other people that handle pieces of that pie and i'm like i don't i don't feel like a lot of times the bands are there yet you know and like mm-hmm. from my perception Oh no! I mean, if they want to do it, whatever. That's you know their prerogative. But like, uh, but I I do understand it because I am really bad with my band's money. Not like I'm like using it for anything. It's just like I'm an idiot when it comes to, (laughs) and it's like it's all on me. Mm -hmm. There's so many bands where I'm like, you can still do this. I know it's like a little bit added pressure, but it's like you don't want to give someone like a big percentage of the zero you already make right you know because you know and it's like i feel like a lot of times bands it's like you you'll know when you need a manager sure you'll know when you need someone to take over the stuff you know that's the thing though that's the thing that's like very interesting to me because if you have there's like so you there is also like the belief that if you get those things then those will get you to where you need to go to then justify them being there so it's finding someone you can trust and all that and, and granted this is not like a world that i've i even have uh flirted with all that much it's just just like trying to observe why people do what they do and like what the because the there are some some bands where it's like well if we get the manager then they can yeah they can hook us up with this deal and then we'll be just riding the gravy train and we won't have to do anything. Uh, or if you're already there, then it's like, are the same <laughs> people going to want to mess with you because they're like, well, this person's already got it under control. So I don't want them telling me how to do my job. Uh, it's just, it's interesting. And the word that was used with this band who they do have these things in place and they're like getting paid, which is nuts because I feel like I don't see their name all that much, but they're like getting all these deals here and there with whatever the, um, that my friend used was the word inf- infantilization, which is just basically sort of, you know, it's, you know, the opposite of empowerment that like, I think a lot of, you know, bands like ours sort of like, uh, you know, we strive to be in charge of our stuff. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if like I'm in charge of it to like the detriment of my band though you know it's like Mm -hmm. I don't know any other way to be and like I guess like what I'm roundabout asking like have you ever felt like you handling so much stuff has been to the detriment of your band or do you feel like you know what you want your band to be so by giving it up um I think 
it's gotten close. It's gotten close where it's been like to the detriment of it. But I've always kind of like surfed on on what just like right on the edge of just like, all right, this is enough for us to be able to pull off the next six months to a year and we'll be good. Um, you know, like uh, it's 2015, we were gonna go, we went to record a record and at the same time, just to like the timing of everything, it's like while we were recording, I also had to be sending out emails to book a tour so that like by the time the record came out, we could go on tour. And this was like a, a nine week tour or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was after that one, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm open to getting an agent. If that's something that like is on the table, like I'll reach out to the couple of people I know and be like, is this something that you'd be interested in? And then was sort of was at that point, I was like, okay, so it was basically once things got to a point where it's like, this is out of my control. I can't handle this. Then I would sort of see what I needed to do. Um, but yeah, I, I do at the same time, even I, I will get to the edge of those things and be like, ah, this is too difficult. It's too much to handle all this at once. I still am also willing to sort of re examine how I do things and how things function. Like I, at the beginning of this pandemic, I just got into a lot of spreadsheets just to figure out exactly where money was going uh, in every direction, both in terms of expenses, we talk about like van insurance and storage for all of our records. And, you know, we have insurance on our gear. So like if we were to ever get, get broken into on tour that like we'd be able to replace all that sort of stuff versus how much money is coming back in from like selling records on the internet and where the, that goes to each member of the band or towards expenses or towards whatever versus t-shirts, which are not like a thing where you can break up percentage wise. It's like, not like we did a bunch of work to make t-shirts. It's just like a thing that has art on it that we, you know, people put on their bodies. It's not the same as like selling a record. So trying to like make spreadsheets and figure that out. So it's, I do like, trying to figure out the business side of things in a way that it works for me. So I understand it. And I think that that also is my understanding of what I'm doing. Uh, my desire for that is similar to the desire to understand what other people are doing. Cause I'm just curious. Like I just wonder how people function in that world to like make music, make art. And like, this is how they make it happen. Uh, yeah. But I, it's so funny that I'm like, how did we even get to this when talking about Radiohead? Like, like uh, I guess we were kind of talking about like how they might go on tour. And I guess that came from like what their lives are like or were like at this point that might have mm. facilitated a change in how they wrote records as well. Yeah. We talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah i mean so because I, I think about i just think about that with like bigger bands um you kind of sometimes like when a band gets successful i feel like there's a point you can almost look at to think of that's when like their songwriting changed mm. but now i'm like well that's also like when their lifestyles change so the method in which they even if they come together anymore in the same ways they mm. might not 
you know, there's like a point in almost every like heavy touring bands timeline where they all kind of move to different cities, you know? Mm -hmm. And so things change. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I would imagine with that, that there's still, I, yeah, I have no idea how they, how they, or, or other bands do it. It seems like the chunks of time, you know, getting together for like a month, or at least that's how I'd like to do it. It's just like get together for a very concentrated period of time and work on things, you know, living in different cities. But, uh, but I think sometimes that could be good because if you're able to do that, um, because then it's sort of like the time you put together, you kind of value it more potentially Mm -hmm. and you potentially get more work done that way. I would, I would assume because, and I'm kind of, I'm guessing that that's probably like how Pyle does it now, you know. How we, did, how we did the last one. I have no idea how we'll do the next one just because what with travel and everything, so. Yeah, maybe since you've listened to Kid A a bunch, it might be a completely different record. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping. I've, I've been trying to write like a completely different record for a little bit now, but um, it's always kind of gone back to the, you know, the, and the records I feel like have changed they're different in, in their ways, but there's nothing, but that's been like, uh, like a real inversion of what the format is. What do you have coming up? I don't know if any of us have anything really coming up in this world anymore, but. Uh, nothing crazy, I guess. Um, well, I'm releasing a tape of, uh, it's like a cassette tape of just stuff that I've been working on for, since since this whole thing started and uh yeah just like a bunch of experiments and half ideas and sort of things and i just kind of uh only put it on cassette because it's not finished and but i still wanted to share it because it is those kind of like raw ideas that i feel like are an exciting part of the process um so anybody that were to get a hold of the tape, I would hope that they would listen with like intention instead of streaming it, which often can be a really passive sort of way of listening to music. Um, and I also made this uh, art booklet that is like 44 pages long. And it's uh, basically when I was... Uh, when the pandemic first, or we were first had to quarantine, I was doing some live streams and I asked for donations because I was doing that instead of uh, going on tour. And to the people that donated, I asked if they would submit a room that had some significance to them either, you know, one that actually existed or that was in their imagination or whatever. And I drew pictures of all of them and that's going to accompany the tape. So that's like, that's a thing I'm releasing in a week or two. And, uh, and then that's it. I got some other stuff coming up, but it's not fully fleshed out. But, but yeah, those are the things that are on the, uh, on the horizon. And where can people find you online if they do that sort of thing? Uh, there is our website, which is pilemusic.com. And then our, Instagram thing is pile music and then that's pretty easy. If you just look up Google Pile Band, 
I'm sure they'll be able to find all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, once again, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I, you know, your last year's record green and gray was, you know, one of my favorite records of last year and, you know, I've been a long time fan. So it's an honor to talk to you again and um, sorry about your bass cap. Oh, <laughs> no worries. It's good talking to you, man. Are you stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out or you don't want to support big box stores? Go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup. But if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. Welcome back. Thanks again to Rick McGuire. Go check out that new pile demo tape if it's still available, or try and find that online somewhere if it exists online. You know, also just check out Exploding and Sound Records. That's Pile's label. They just put up some new shirts, and they're really cool. Yep. Well, next week, we're talking with Mark Palm of the band Super Crush. We're talking about Super Unknown by Soundgarden. R.I.P. Chris Cornell. I'm super excited. It's one of my favorite albums, and Mark's too, of course. So if you haven't checked out the new Super Crush record, Soto Pop, I'd highly recommend it. But also I'd recommend checking out Tony Retman's newsletter that Mark wrote about Super Unknown. It's a great read, and honestly, just Google Tony Retman, Mark Palm, Soundgarden. There you go. It will kind of fill in the blanks for anything we're probably discussing around the album and Mark's love of it, so it kind of gives you a primer going into the episode. Highly would recommend that. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing the pod. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that. And finally, find us on Twitter and Instagram. On that note, hit the theme! <laughs>